All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to try to end this series tonight. And I uh, thought I was going to end it last week when all the Master Club leaders and children were in here, but just didn't get time to do that. But we'd still be here probably. But uh, we're going to start, we're going to back up just a little bit and go to verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Holy living for the last days. And I'd like to uh, title this message, Sanctified, Thrilled, Filled, and Satisfied. We're going to preach a lot on sanctification tonight, but also these short exhortations uh, found in 1 Thessalonians. It's kind of like a Gatling gun going off, and he's just firing some great admonitions, and then we see the results in verse 23. So let's start at verse 16. Let's stand on to the Word of God. I hope you got the copy of the Word of God with you so you can follow along. It says in verse 16, rejoice evermore. Now that's a challenge. Say amen. Have y'all been rejoicing all day and all week and all year? It says pray without ceasing. And then listen to this. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying or preaching. Prove all things, hold fast that which is good, and then abstain from all appearance of evil. Amen, well, beyond reproach. And here's the results of this kind of godly living, holy living, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will, who will do it. Amen. Brethren, pray for us. Paul requesting prayer. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Can't do that today. Uh, and I charge you by the, by the Lord that this epistle be read into all uh, the holy brethren, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, and a good word, biblical word, amen. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of drawing nigh to you, and you promised you'd draw nigh to us. Lord, we thank you that we're sanctified by the truth, and we're sanctified by your spirit, and Lord, we're sanctified by abiding in you, and your words abide in us. And so Lord, help us to learn some lessons tonight that will help our lives be more glorifying to Thee. And God, that we might be a better testimony and a brighter light in this dark day that we live in. So Lord, help us, God, to be sanctified, thrilled, filled, and satisfied with Your presence. May we, dear God, have a goal in our life to be more like You. And God, to seek You with all our heart. And you promised that we'd find you. So Lord, thank you for this time of worship. I pray that you'd be with the youth meeting, be with Brother Jason as he preaches back there to the youth. And God, I pray that you'd be with each master club leader as they take the word of God and maybe share with some of these young people that are not saved that the night would be the night of salvation. Uh, we thank you for this. Uh, several of the teenagers being saved recent weeks. And God, I pray that you'd help them to grow. And Lord, I just praise you and thank you, God, for the good reports of some that's been very sick this week. Pray that you continue to heal and give the doctors wisdom. 
And so, Lord, bless your holy name through this uh, message, and may we draw closer to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. The word sanctified means to be set apart for God's glory. The word sanctified means that God has called you uh, and set you apart unto himself. It's called a holy walk. And the first book of 1 Thessalonians is about the second coming, the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. I read it almost every funeral, by the graveside, on the committal. But I want you to notice the word in verse 23. It says, the very God of peace sanctify you holy. And folks, that's not holy, H-O-L-Y, it's holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y. We ought to be giving our entire life to Jesus Christ. We ought to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And so much the more as we see the day approaching. I believe the Lord's coming soon. I believe the iniquity abounding, all the things that's happening are signs of the time. And I don't believe there's one sign that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 that we studied a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago. But the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth, John 17, 17. I like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, where the Bible says, Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 says this, If a man therefore purge himself from these, you shall be vessels unto honor sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared into every good work. So we ought to be sanctified, and we ought to realize that qualifies us to be useful for God's glory. We're just a vessel, and the treasure in our vessel is the Holy Spirit. And we cannot live the Christian life on our own, and we can't glorify God on our own. We certainly can yield what we have, and it ought to be holy unto the Lord, and that's called sanctification and the very God of peace. The, listen to this. And the very God of peace, verse 23, uh, will sanctify you holy. And I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There'll be two crowds at the rapture and thus the judgment seat of Christ, those that are shame and those that are uh, thankful that they yielded their life. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. 1 John 2, 28 real quick. Lord just laid that verse on my heart. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28, And now, little children, abide. That's sanctified. Set your life apart. You are his branch. He is divine, and you're not your own. It says, And now, little children, abide in him, and when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. The Bible says in Revelation 21.4, he'll wipe away the tears. What are the tears doing in heaven? Some people say there'll be no tears in heaven. Well, he can't wipe away tears unless there is tears. And the book of Revelation is written chronologically and for a thousand seven years, uh, I believe from the rapture to uh, this time that the Lord wipes away the tears, there'll be tears in heaven. There'll be regret. Some will be, face Jesus ashamed. Others will face him confident. We ought to all realize that the reason we ought to be faithful is not for ourselves, but to cast the crowns 
at his feet and to give him more glory when we meet him. The Bible calls it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, the abundant entrance. And so we need to realize that we can suffer loss and we can lose rewards, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we can have wood, hay, and stubble, or we can have precious gold, silver, and metal, and we can have a crown, and we'll cast them at his feet. And so it really matters what you do between the time you get saved and the time you died, or the time you get saved and the time the rapture takes place. Amen? And so we need to be a light in this dark world. I like Philippians chapter 2. Turn there real quick, and we'll get to our verse-by-verse study. I'll give you something I think is just timely for our anniversary Sunday. But Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 2 and verse 15, I believe is a great verse for us today. I believe this verse will help us to realize why all this is happening. The Bible says in Philippians 2 and verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless as sanctified. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And that's where we're at today. And it says, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. You are to shine in the, as lights in the world. Look at verse 16, Philippians 2, you with me? It says, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. I believe, folks, only what's done for Christ will last. So you ought to give every bit of your life to Jesus. All your time, your talents, your treasures, every day. You know, a lot of people are appreciating breath and breathing a lot, a lot more now that this COVID's hit so many people. And every breath's an individual blessing. Every heartbeat's an individual blessing. And how we take it for granted until we almost lose it. Amen? And all of us have been through this probably in this room. But I want to say this, friend. Every breath is God's gift to you. And we ought to use it for his glory and his honor, not for our entertainment. Life's too valuable to spend. We must invest it. Um, Colossians 1.22 says this, In the body of, of his flesh through death to present our bodies unblameable and unrebukable in his sight. Folks, thank God that one day the very God of peace will sanctify us holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, body, that proves we're not just ghosts in heaven. There is a resurrection. Uh, be preserved blameless into the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, Second Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 14 says this, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Now, you're not going to be sinless till you get to heaven. But I want to tell you something, folks. We ought to live a life like these verses say in First Thessalonians chapter 5, we ought to rejoice evermore. We ought to rejoice by faith. I have a favorite saying, sometimes I smile by faith because you need my smile a lot more than you need my frown. There's sometimes I'm so low, I could go through that under that door without it opening up, but I know I'm not going to show it. You say, you're faking it. No, I'm faithing it. I'm by faith going to be here and rejoice evermore. That takes faith, amen? And then two, pray without ceasing. Every day of your life ought to be an attitude of prayer. Do you pray without ceasing? I guarantee you, if you will pray without ceasing, you'll rejoice without ceasing. And then it says, but in everything give thanks. So we got to pray without ceasing. We got to rejoice without 
See, and the Bible says, and everything give thanks. Now, that's hard. Matter of fact, that's impossible without the Spirit of God. Say amen. I mean, in everything. Uh, and that, for it's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, what's that saying? That's saying everything works together. Romans 8, 28. I'm not going to go through that again. We know that everything works together for the good of them that love God, called to his purpose. And the next verse says we're predestined to be like him. It has nothing to do with salvation, Calvinists. It's predestined to be like him once you're saved. But God uses everything together. He bakes it together like homemade biscuits. And sometimes it seems like lard and sometimes it seems like flour. But I want to tell you something, when God puts it together, it's for his glory. And folks, the key is responding in rejoicing, praying, and thanking God for everything. And it's no, there's no way on this earth you can do it in the flesh. Quench not the spirit. It means suffocate or restrain or hinder the spirit of God. You can hinder the spirit of God through worldliness. You can hinder the spirit of God through flesh. You can hinder the spirit of God through pride, self-dependence, and self-sufficiency. And then last week when we pre uh, preached the whole service almost on despise not prophesying, the value of preaching. Prove all things, hold, hold, uh, hold fast to that which is good. And of course, um, that means you ought to be faithful. Our theme for this year is um, Oh to Hear, Well Done in 2021. It took me a long time to rhyme that. I hope you appreciate it. But it's not just a rhyme. Folks, we need, to, we need to realize we could face him this year. And we need to be faithful. We need to be faithful to be sanctified, thrilled, filled, and satisfied. Why? Because look at verse 24, and we're going to close this chapter in about 20 minutes. It says, Thankful is he, faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Now, aren't you glad that God's faithful? Uh, look, look over 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter, we'll be taking up Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians starting next Wednesday. We'll go through a series on Malachi on Sunday night. But look at this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, the Bible says this, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. I want to tell you something. One of the traits of a Christian that's sanctified by his spirit and filled with his word and filled with his spirit is that you're stable. You're consistent. Or here's the word for our our year, faithful. We can't be everything everybody else is. We can't sing like Brother uh, Randy. We can't play the piano like Miss Rebecca, but we can be faithful. Amen. Not all of you called to preach or be the pastor of this church, but you can be faithful. And folks, we, we, we need to believe that uh, he abideth faithful and he can, cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. Bible says in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. What he begins, he will finish, amen? Uh, folks, he's able. Um, the Bible tells us that in Philippians. That he started a great work in your life, and he'll finish that work. But we need to yield to him. And so then we go to the last few verses of this chapter. And I believe it's just timely for our church. And I'm not preaching this for myself, but I really am because I need your prayers more than ever. It's because I've been here since the day one 
started this church 43 years ago doesn't mean I don't need your prayers. I need them more than ever. I'd hate to finish wrong. I want to finish right. Amen? And some people think I'm finished, but I'm not, unless God calls me home or the rapture takes place. And the Bible says in verse 24, or 25, brethren, pray for us. Now the Apostle Paul had enough sense, spiritual perception, to realize he needed, a pr- he needed prayers. And if the Apostle Paul needed prayers, somebody to pray for him, you do too. Every preacher needs his congregation's prayers. Um, I believe with all my heart, it is life support for the pastor to have prayer support. If you do not pray for your pastor, he could fail. He could falter. He could compromise. Because in the flesh, we're weak. And I'll go over that in just a minute, but the Bible says, brethren, pray for us. I want you to put me back on your prayer list if you took me off. And I want you to pray every day. I want you to pray for every missionary. We have missionaries of the day. We have, you know, 120-something missionaries, and you have those names every day. But would you please pray for me? Would you pr- please pray for me? Because I'm just like, I'm not like Brother I'm not like Apostle Paul, nowhere near it. But I am wise enough to know that this is beyond me. I cannot pastor this church without prayer. And I cannot preach without the Spirit of God anointing me. And I can't minister, and you can't either. And you know, everybody, to someone, you're the best Christian they know. And so somebody needs to pray for you. Your children need to learn to pray for daddy and mama. God pray for them every day. Um... We need to pray for each other. Husband and wife need to pray for each other. One of the greatest ways to gain the respect of your mate is pray with them and lead them in prayer. And I'm not talking about the flare prayer right before a meal, say, Lord, thank you for this food, to prove that we're not totally heathen, so we pray over every meal. I mean prayer. I mean pray every day. Have a place of prayer. Have a secret place of prayer. Have a prayer life. Paul says, pray for us. He didn't say just pray for me. He said pray for us. That was all the spiritual leaders of that day. I believe it was all the pastors. I believe it was Timothy. And folks, I want to tell you something. The greatest thing you can do for me is pray for me. And I know this is that right after he talks about uh, in verse 12, I believe it was, that we ought to know our spiritual leader and among, uh, that labors among us and we ought, and we ought to uh, uh, realize that he admonishes you and verse 13 says to esteem them very highly. That's respect. But I want to tell you something. Then he goes on to say, in verse 14, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak and the patient towards all men, and see that none of you render evil for evil unto any man, but ever, ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Now, the greatest thing you can do for your pastor is be together. Uh, the average lifespan of a pastor in the United States of America is, I think, three years. That's awful. You don't even get to know people in three years. Uh, a lot of people try to keep the preacher straight and run him out of town. And they think they're the Lord committee of over the pastor. And there's a lot of politics, and I'm talking about spiritual politics in the house of God that's not even spiritual. And so 
we need to realize it's important that we pray for our spiritual leadership. God, pray for your Sunday school teacher. God, pray for these deacons. I thank God for them. They pray for me. They encourage me. And we don't fight and fuss. We pray for each other. But the Bible says in Romans 15.30, Paul had a prayer request, another prayer request. He said, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So, folks, we need to realize to pray together is to worship together, uh, to war together. So he had this prayer request in 1 Thessalonians, whole book's about the second coming, and there's the last verse of every chapter tells us the attitude we ought to have in the last days. But he ends the book and says, brethren, pray for us. He ends the book of Romans and said, hey, strive with me. Be part of my ministry. How? Preaching with me? That's good. Uh, going with me on the mission field? That's great. No, he said, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Um, look at Ephesians chapter 6. So we worship together when we pray for each other. And then we war together when we pray for each other. Ephesians chapter 6, you're very familiar with it. And I know you know this chapter, and I preached on it several hundred times. The Bible says that finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, verse 11, chapter 6. You with me? Uh, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, isn't the devil moving? He's using this pandemic. He's using politics. He's using everything he can to discourage us and even divide us. Do you know how many churches have divided over this coronavirus? Uh, the preacher's either too strict or he's too loose. Um, it's on and on. It's been the worst year of my life as far as stress is concerned. And I need your prayers. And there's been decisions that uh, half loved and half didn't. And I don't like all this stuff. I don't like masks. I don't like ropes on the pews. I guarantee you, you think we've had a lot of cases. You ought, to, you ought to realize that we would have a whole lot more if we hadn't had some of these restraint, these restrictions. And I appreciate you that submitted to it for somebody else's good. Amen? We don't give this to anybody. And so, folks, it's been a rough year. But it's been a good year because we've had a lot of people saved and we've stayed together. But there's a lot of churches that are falling apart. They're falling apart. Why? Because they're not praying for each other. They're dividing up and taking sides. And so I want to just close this message by saying that if Paul asked for prayer, then you ought to pray for your spiritual leadership as never before. Come on in, youth. We need to pray that we could strive and not strive with each other, but strive for God. Now look at Ephesians chapter 6. It's amazing to me that he's probably chained to a soldier in prison, or house prison at least, and he, and, he, um, and he starts describing every part of the armor. And he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'll tell you why you ought to pray for your pastor. You ought to pray for your Sunday school teacher. You ought to pray for your daddy, your mama. You ought to pray for anybody that's in spiritual authority or spiritual leadership. It's because it's a warfare. 
And all the imps of hell is trying to stop your spiritual leader in his tracks. He's trying to discourage them. He's trying to divide their loyalty. He's trying to devour their testimony. But look at this. It says this. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now folks, in the Bible days, they wore tunics, but when they went to battle, they tucked it up into the belt of truth like Hercules or so. And I want to tell you something. They were in battle ready. They could move. If they did not tuck up the tunic or the robe, the, the enemy could just put the robe over the head and cut the head off. And so they were ready. They were mobile. But folks, the truth of the matter is, most people don't even realize there's a battle. They think the Christian life is some little picnic and just some little game or some religious duty or, or just going to church. And the devil's got you right where he wants you. Folks, it's a warfare. I wish somebody had told me that right after I got saved that this was a warfare, a serious warfare, a spiritual warfare that we must put on the whole armor of God. And part of the armor of God is girded up with truth that there is a battle. And girded up the truth is that God is greater than any enemy we have. Greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. Say amen. And his word brings light upon the devil's wiles or methodology. And so, folks, we need to stand, therefore, with your loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Folks, that guards your heart. We're talking about imputed righteousness and, as the Puritans say, imparted righteousness. The only way you to be right with God is to be saved by the grace of God because you don't get right enough to get saved. He took your sin that you might take his righteousness. He that knew no sin became sin for you that, that you, can have, you can have the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. You're right because Jesus is right. And you have his righteousness. You have the robe of righteousness. And so, folks, listen. We need to realize we ought to, uh, we ought to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You need to be saved in this battle. But then you need to be sanctified. That means you need to be right with God. And if you're not right with God, you have no badge of courage in the, in the warfare. The devil's accuser of the brethren, and he'll bring up your sin right in the middle of the battle and defeat you. He'll defeat you with your conscience not being clear, that your heart's not right, that you're not blameless, that you're not rejoicing evermore. You're not praying always. You're not thankful for everything. And you're not proving everything and you're, you're not abstaining from the appearance of evil. All that list that, that Paul uh, uh, gave us at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Then it says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and breastplate of righteousness. But then it goes, says your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And those were literally cleats. And they were shod with the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherein you shall... Be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. The devil's shooting at you right now. And folks, you need to hide behind the faith, uh, the shield of faith that Jesus Christ will guard your mind, your will, and your emotion and help you during the battle. And the devil will shoot discouragement, doubt, and even atheism at you. Uh, there is no God. You ever had the devil shoot that at you? You're not saved. All kinds of lies and you'll never quench the fiery darts of his lies until you're girded about with truth and that you have the faith of God, that you have the faith that you're saved and have the faith that you're going to stay saved by the grace of God, and it's wonderful. And it says, take the helmet of salvation. We went over that last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that's eternal life. 
That means, folks, in the battle there is a finish line. Amen? You know, everybody thought when 2020 is over, 2021 is going to be great. It's coming like the time 2000 came across. Oh, Kevin Hall, uh, your daddy, sitting on the back row, your daddy preached on uh, Y2K, 2020. New Year's Day, we thought the whole, everybody thought the world was going to come to an end. You know, they bought water and put bomb shelters out. I mean, crazy stuff. Some of y'all might have did that. Don't tell me if you did. Hope you still got the bottled water. Amen. But they thought the world was coming to end because of 2000 and the, and the, and the computer was going to click over and everybody was going to lose everything. And they was just even watching Australia because it was the first one to turn 2020. And they lit up the words eternity on that bridge. That man went all over Sydney, Australia, writing eternity, eternity. And that was their theme. So the whole world got witnessed through the Y2K. We changed it to R2G, ready to go. That was a silly thing. But anyway, we did it anyway. We had buttons and all kinds of stuff. You have to forgive me. I've grown up since then. But listen, we need to realize that, folks, God has given us the ability to know that we're saved by the word of God, by the grace of God. We don't keep our salvation. He keeps us. And then the sword of the Spirit, the word of God. But I got all the way to that to tell you this. Here's Paul with another prayer request. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. You know what he's saying? When you can't pray for yourself, pray for somebody else. And folks, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now what's that mean? Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says, that God knows the will of God better than you do. The Spirit of God knows God better than you do. And the Spirit of God knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows what you need more than you know what you need. And so he works all things together for the good of them that love God called according to his purpose. Romans 8.26 precedes Romans 8.28. We always take Romans 8.28 as the magic wand of all encouragement. But you go back to verse 26 and you'll find out the Spirit of God Praying in the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. It's agreeing with the Spirit. It's letting Him escort you into the presence of God, and He's not going to escort sin into the presence of God. You must be right. Quench not the Spirit. And then it says, for all saints. But then he goes on to say in verse 19, here's a prayer request from Paul. He said, pray for us, brethren. We're preaching on that one short verse. It says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mysteries of the gospel. Here's his prayer request, that he'd open his mouth and not talk about sports, that he'd open his mouth and not talk about politics. Everybody wants to talk about politics all the time. What we got to do is we got to talk about Jesus all the time, and we need to plant the gospel And we need to speak about Jesus more in these last dark days. And it says, for which I am an ambassador in bonds. Therewith may I speak boldly as I ought to speak. His last prayer request in this book, as in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, is, Lord, help me to realize I can't win this battle on my own. And so we worship together. We war together because we pray together. Now let me just close this thought tonight 
well, why does pastors need your prayers? Why do I need you to pray for me? Why does your Sunday school teacher need you to pray for me? Why does your spiritual daddy need your prayers? Why does anybody in leadership need your prayers? Well, as far as a pastor is concerned, a pastor faces greater accountability than you do. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. Your spiritual leader, your daddy, is accountable of how you are raised. And it's a great responsibility to be a father. It's a high calling to be a spiritual leader of a family. Look at James chapter uh, 3, please. The Bible says this in verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we have shall receive the greater condemnation. Folks, there is a spiritual accountability for all those that are leaders. If you're a deacon, if you're a, a, a Sunday school teacher, if you're a pastor, most indeed, you need to realize that your ministry involves speech. Look at verse uh, uh, chapter 3 in context, going down to verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Look at verse 9. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and wherein curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. And out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and curses. My brethren, these things ought not to be. It goes on to talk about the power of the tongue in the verses we skip about a uh, helm uh, guiding a ship and a little fire kindleth uh, much destruction. The tongue is a fire set on fire of hell. And then the Bible says, no man can tame the tongue. And so why is a pastor uh, faced with greater accountability? In context now, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, don't try to just be a master to be a master because you receive the greater judgment, the greater condemnation. Folks, listen, a pastor is responsible for your spiritual growth, and you need to pray for him. And this, let me just put it this way, and I've seen it over and over again. When a pastor falls into sin, many people fall with him. Many people get discouraged, and many people quit the church. And don't you think that the devil has the pastor in the crosshairs? And if you don't pray for him, he could fall into sin. He could fall into selfishness. He could fall into vainglory, and he could use the tongue that God has given him, the language that God has given him, in a terrible way to hurt and ruin many people. The Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, it's better to have a millstone uh, hung around your neck and drowned than to cause one of the little ones to fall. And folks, I can go for spiritual children too. Is that a pastor falls and there's a, a young Christians and and they're trying to look up to this pastor and follow this pastor. Folks, listen, the reason that Paul said this, I really believe, look at the verse again. I know it's not long, it's not deep, but he says, brethren, pray for us. The apostle Paul, writing to the church of Thessalonica, had enough sense to realize he's in a warfare and that he had to win souls, and he said, please pray for me. And so, folks, I hope you pray for me every day. I hope I'm on your... It's easy to criticize someone, and I don't think any of that's going on, but I'm always positive. And that's a bad word, I guess, today. But uh, I believe that we don't have any splits. 
or splinter. I know everybody's not on the same page, and I've heard some criticism. I've heard some grumbling. I've heard some gossip. Matter of fact, just tell your best friend what you don't want me to hear, and your best friend will betray you. He'll tell you. He'll tell me every time. So go ahead and gossip. It'll come back. But folks, I don't believe that's going on in our church. If it is, uh, I'll pray some more. But I want to tell you something, folks. We face a greater accountability to pray for our spiritual leader than to crumble and complain about our spiritual leader. And folks, maybe the problem is you're not praying enough. Amen? Maybe the problem is I'm not praying enough. I know when I was assistant pastor, I didn't pray for Brother Paul like I ought to because I had no idea what he faced every day. Because I could always say, well, go talk to Brother Paul. I could always say, hey, listen, I don't know. Talk to him. See, the book stops at the pastor. He's the Joshua of the church. It's not the deacons that run the church. It's the preacher that leads the church. We don't lord over God's uh, flock. We lead God's flock. And when the shepherd falls, the sheep go astray. And the devil can get in the flock. And so, folks, it's very important that you realize a pastor faces greater accountability. And then, uh, last but not least, and I'll try to close in about four or five minutes, but don't count on it. Um, because the clubs last till 8.30, at least I ought to preach to them, but I don't think I will. Um, the pastor faces greater attacks. Not only the pastor face greater accountability, but the pastor faces greater attacks. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. How many love to study the Word of God? Say amen. Hope you got the Bible with you, amen. Check me out on everything I say. Make sure it's what God says. But look at 1 Peter Chapter 5, wonderful chapter. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who, who am uh, the elder and witness of suffering of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory, shall be revealed. And then verse 2 says, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, for the not for filthy lucre. This is not a job. This is a ministry. It's a life, but of a ready mind. And then look at verse 3. Neither be as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Say amen. I went by Sam's today. I sent my wife in there, and I stayed in the par parking lot most of the time uh, because I never like to go in there, and they don't do it anymore, I don't think. But uh, they always have samples. They have little stations with their samples. I wonder if they had stale sausages or stale cookies or whatever. You wouldn't want to buy the product. And folks, we're in samples. We are a sample of what Christ ought to be like. And we ought to be examples. Look at verse um, 4. Here it is now. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The Bible says that pastors will receive a crown of glory if they're faithful. If they're faithful. And we shouldn't take lordship over the flock. We ought to be examples of the flock. What a lead, not by constraint or for money, but to lead as God leads us. But I want you to notice what happens. Look at the next verse. Likewise, the younger submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another and be clothed with humility. God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Folks, a, a pastor that's got any sense at all realizes that he can't do it by himself. And every person in the congregation ought to pray for us. So the Bible says, all the leadership. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, 
that he may exalt you in due time. That's at the judgment seat of Christ, I believe. But here's what I want to get to, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. The devil uses discouragement and pride in preachers' lives, and they fall into sin. But here's the, here it is. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But God of all grace has called us into the eternal glory by Christ Jesus, and that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settled you. And here's the bottom line. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. That good old Baptist word, no biblical word, amen. Amen. And so, folks, the devil wants to devour you. And if the devil wants to devour you, how much does he want to devour spiritual leadership? How much does he want to devour your spiritual leader's testimony? I'm talking about your daddy. I'm talking about your mama. I'm talking about your mate. I'm talking about your pastor. I'm talking about your teacher. I'm talking about the assistant pastor. I'm talking about everyone that's over you in spiritual leadership how much more does a devil want to pick them off, divide their affections, discourage their soul, and get them out of the ministry so he can get to you? That's why Paul said, pray for us. Because a pastor, a spiritual leader faces greater accountability, James chapter 3, and greater attacks, 1 Peter chapter 5. Someone took a survey, uh, S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R, Schaeffner Institute, whoever that they, they are. And they took a survey of a, a lot of pastors in the United States of America. And this is what they found out in this survey. 90% of the pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours per week. 90% feel they are inadequately trained to cope with the ministry demand. On their health and well-being, 70% of the pastors constantly fight depression. I know some preachers right now that are suffering depression. I know one pastor that's been about five or six churches in Whitfield County, and the reason is he's, he's manically depressed all the time. And I can't tell you who it is because he shared with me confidentially. But he moves on to another congregation, and they depress him. And so, folks, they, they fight a battle. And 50% of the pastors feel so discouraged they would have, leave the ministry if they had another job lined up right away. That's what the survey said. 50 of them said, if I could find another way of living, I'd do it because I'd just like an eight-to-five job and not have to live with it every day and night. And if you've never been in the ministry, you don't know what I'm talking about. We never clock out. If I go out of town, somebody will die. So you better keep me in town. No, uh, if I go on vacation, somebody's going to have a problem. And they won't realize I'm even on vacation. They'll call me and talk all night. And folks, I want to tell you something. It's never ending, but it's a privilege and it's an honor. And I think it's the highest calling. That's why I know Warnock was totally out of the will of God running for senator. And I don't know how in the war he was voted in as a senator because he stepped down if he went from a pastor to a senator because that's a lower calling than a pastor. Say amen right there. I believe 
he would have been out of the will of God if he ran for president. Because I believe it's a higher calling than being a pastor. I really do. You say, you think a lot of yourself. No, I just think a lot of God who called me. Concerning uh, marriage and the family, 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Good night. No wonder we have couples retreats. Uh, it's helped my family. Uh, 80% of spouses feel the pastor is overworked. In other words, they spend too much time and they become spiritual widows. They become spiritual orphans. I don't believe you sacrifice your family for the ministry. I believe you include your family in the ministry. Amen. You ought to pray for pastors to have wisdom because they can try to build the fastest growing church in Dalton, which we were one time. And now it's not even the Catholic church, it's the contemporary church that's the fastest growing church in Dalton. But folks, and delect their family and lose their family. 80% of spouses feel left out and unappreciated by church members. 40% report serious conflicts with parishioners at least once a month. I mean, they have conflicts with their members. The number one reason preachers according to this survey, leave the ministry is that church people are not willing to go the same direction and support the goals of the pastor. Pastors believe God wants them to go in one direction, but the people are not willing to follow. One of the greatest pastors I ever met was Steve Sparks. And he had compassion and cried every time he went soul winning and won souls. And he got so mad, nobody goes soul winning, he quit the ministry. And now he's selling used cars in Lawrenceville, Georgia. He's out of the ministry completely because he got so frustrated that nobody goes soul winning. Nobody, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to just keep on going year after year and nobody wants to go with you. I thank God our church is different. We serve breakfast so 40 people show up. Amen, praise God. That's the key, feed them. But anyway, um, 50% of ministers start out, um, will last about five years. 50% quit after five years. And you ask any pastor, if they're real honest, they have wanted to quit. I have written my uh, resignation out, and I didn't read it because I was so discouraged about 40 years ago when it first started. Only one out of 10 ministers will actually retire as ministers in some form. One out of 10 will actually retire as a minister. Over 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year in the United States. Let me repeat that. 1,700 pastors left the ministry every month last year. Of course, this was a survey a couple of years ago, so don't blame the pandemic. This is when everything was normal, quote, unquote. Over 1,300 pastors were fired by the local church each month, and many without cause. Fired. Chances are many of the pastors you know are tired, beaten up, and feeling very discouraged. And folks, I want to tell you something. The only life support for a pastor is prayer for support. And folks, we need to realize that God wants us to glorify God and be faithful, but we can't do it without prayer. Let me just close with saying this. What makes a pastor more effective? Well, the Bible says it's intercessory prayer. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 and 2. 2 Thessalonians, stay with me now. We're going to close. 
My time is up. We'll just dismiss early and wait on the children. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look at verse 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Here's the apostle Paul, the great man of God that was used to write most of the New Testament by the Holy Spirit. He said, finally. That meant most importantly. That didn't mean in closing. He preached 20 more minutes like I do. He said, finally, brethren, pray for us. What was he praying for? That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Look at verse 2. And that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. Folks, he was going through great persecution. They even chopped his head off. That's why we have the passage in 2 Timothy chapter 4 where he's saying, I fought a good fight, I finished my course, and I kept the faith. Henceforth, there's later for me a, uh, a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but for all those that love his appearing. What a love is appearing. So prayer releases God's presence in a special way, number one. Prayer releases God's power upon those you pray for. Ephesians chapter 6, 14 through 17, the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. How? Praying one for another in the Spirit. That puts on the whole armor of God. And your prayer support is life support for the pastor. 1,700 pastors leave the ministry, left the ministry every month in the United States of America. So folks, listen, it's not just preaching up here and being popular and, and all this and being uh, honored uh, folks, I want to tell you something. It is a warfare, but it's worth it because we know we're on the winning side. But a pastor will not last without prayer support. Without prayer support. Brethren, pray for us. And greet all the brethren with holy kiss. We don't do that around here. We don't even handshake anymore. But praise God, that means the greatest encouragement for the Apostle Paul was, hey, love each other, respect each other, minister each other. Then he said, I charge you by the Lord that the epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Now, I thought this epistle was to the church of Thessalonica, but it says read it to all the holy brethren. I believe they were under persecution. There were many house churches in that day and many people underground like they're doing in South Africa right now. My daughter's saying that they're having, they had a, um, 115 in church, and it's all underground uh, now because they won't let them meet. And at Camp Rhino, they get called, they're going to jail. So pray they don't get called. But greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. But I charge you, the Lord, that the epistles be read to all the holy brethren. And so, folks, Paul was saying, hey, listen, we're under great persecution, and we're meeting probably in separate places. So just make some copies of this book, of this, of this book this letter and read it to them. And then last but not least, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. You know, I was thinking about the importance of getting the Word of God out. I think about our media ministry, Brother Cody and Brother Blaine and Brother Joel. And I thought about a verse in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, these were more noble than those Thessalonians 
and that they receive the Word of God with readiness of mind and search the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. What to be ready and excited about hearing the Word of God. And then the last verse I'm going to give you is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Turn with me now, and if I see everybody turning, I'll close. But it says this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which ye heard of us, well, you ought to pray for us. Pray for spiritual leadership. Pray for your preacher. Pray for pastors. Pray for your assistant pastor. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your spiritual leaders. It says, and we received the word of men, but it says, and you received it not as the word of men, but as the truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Folks, I'm going to tell you, the reason the devil wants to stop the man of God and the church of God is because it's a ministry of the word of God and it effectually worketh in people. Folks, I believe it's worth it. And I believe one of the highest callings on this earth is to be a preacher, to be a pastor. But I'll tell you this, and on this anniversary, it's my last service that I'll preach for the 42nd year. I think we start our 43rd. I don't. I, I get mixed up on that. It might be we're starting 44. I don't know. Is appropriate because, folks, we need to pray for one another. We need to pray this church goes on and wins souls and takes on missionaries. Like we heard this past Sunday night, a missionary and his family wanting to get to the field and start a new church in South Africa and all over the world. Folks, this little old church can touch the world, but if we divide and devour each other and run the pastor off, then who's going to support the missionaries? We need to stay together in this warfare. And we need to guard each other through prayer. And we need to take serious that there ought to be a prayer list for every missionary, but you ought to pray for your pastor. And I appreciate that you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you, God, for this very short verse, but powerful verse from the Apostle Paul. Brethren, pray for us. Lord, if the Apostle Paul needed prayer, who am I not to beg for prayer? And who am I not to pray for my spiritual um, companions and co-laborers and fellow preachers in our fellowship and, and God to pray for the spiritual leadership of this church and pray for every teacher and pray for every deacon, pray for everybody that's in spiritual leadership in this church. Pray for our assistant pastor, his wife. Pray dear God for our families we might glorify God through spiritual oneness and raising godly children to glorify your name. So Lord, thank you. It's been worth it all. I don't believe it's over. But I know, dear God, the devil would like us to get relaxed or get discouraged and not pray for one another like we should. So Lord, help us to take this exhortation. Matter of fact, all the closings of the epistles where Paul cries out, pray for us. Lord, we're going to praise you for what you do in the future of our church. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I never preach unless I give an invitation because there might be someone here that's not saved. And you'd say, Preacher, tonight, if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. 
if the rapture took place, the trump of God sounded, I'm not sure I'd be caught up to be with the Lord in one ten thousandth of a second, in a twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. And I'm not ready, and I'm not saved, but I'd like you to pray for me. I won't come to you, won't embarrass you in any way, shape, or form, but I'm going to do the most I can do for you, what I preached on, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you get saved and not be left behind. That you get saved and not go to hell. That you get saved and use your life for God's glory. Anybody in here say, Preacher, I'm not saved, but I sure would like to be. I want you to pray for me. Would you slip your hand up real high and then back down? Anyone? Just say, I'm not sure. Nobody's looking. Nobody's going to embarrass you. Nobody's going to come to you and drag you down the aisle. We want to do the most we can do for you. We want to pray for you. Anyone? Have me say, Preacher, I know that I need to pray more for you, for the spiritual leadership. I need to pray for my spiritual leaders in my home, my, my mama, my daddy. I need to pray for one another. And I don't want to ever be guilty of cutting somebody down, but I want to be guilty of lifting somebody up in prayer. And I want you to pray for me that I'd pray more for our spiritual leadership in this church. That's your prayer tonight. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer? God bless you. Some of you raising your hand, I know you're the ones that pray for me the most. Pray for Brother Jason the most. Pray for all the Sunday school teachers the most. We can all pray more, amen. Sometimes I, I don't pray like I should. How about you? Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for the message. And I want to thank you for the book, of 1 Thessalonians. It's been a blessing, exhortation of my soul and God, it's been an encouragement for me to have a, a closer walk with you in these last days. So, dear God, help us. Now, I'll just take this last verse or two. Take the whole book and realize you've called us to be stable and sanctified and soul winners and have comfort in these last days because you're coming soon. So, Lord, use this study of First Thessalonians in a special way in all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.